Hi, and welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. As members of the body of Christ, we offer love and encouragement to everyone. As Pastor Alex leads us through God's Word, we hope you will be lifted and filled with joy as we open our hearts and minds to the love of Jesus and the hope He gives us all. Now here's Pastor Alex. I would like to really give my heartfelt thanks to um, the veterans who've served in our armed forces. In fact, why don't you hold off, hold one second. I want to, I want to do something a little different this year. First of all, I do want to say uh, America is the land of the free because of the brave. And um, I've just seen so much more uh, just in my own world of uh, relationships and reading and witnessing um, Boy, that life commitment to, to serve in the armed forces for Americans, uh, that is no small deal, especially when you could possibly pay the greatest price and lose your life. And uh, short of that, a lot of veterans come home with half a life, either physically, mentally, emotionally. And uh, so even aside from the whole spiritual kingdom of God and all that stuff, I, I have to tell you what an honorable and noble thing you have done for us. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. I would like, if you've served in the armed forces, men, women, reserves, or full-time, um, I would like you to remain seated. I want the rest of us to stand all at one time quickly and give them a standing ovation. Can we do that on the count of three? One, two, three. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Woo. Awesome thing. We are so appreciative and so thankful for you. Uh, a lot of wonderful things have been happening in the world of social media just to do that very thing. Beautiful songs written and videos and pictures and one-liners, and I've just been very inspired. In honor of our veterans uh, today and for your service, uh, our final hero of the faith is going to be David, the warrior king. And uh, I, I really have been impressed with what, what I've learned about this man who began as a, a fairly young man and yet lived his entire life uh, serving God. And there's so many things we can learn about faith when we, when we study the lives of, of some of these incredible characters. I mean, Rahab, to me, was absolutely... It was a big kind of tearing open of my heart in empathy for women who've lived very broken lives in the world of the sex trade, for instance. That's really just continues to kind of be an eye-opener for me, and I keep praying, Lord, how can I personally or we as a church support the ministries that serve those women? But on the other end of the spectrum, you know, there are women with broken lives, and then there are men with broken lives. I, I've said it once before, there, there's really only two kinds of people in the church. There's men and there's women. By the way, there aren't three. <laughs> There's only two. And so I really want to take a, a few moments this morning to talk about uh, godly manhood. And, uh, you know, there, there are certain things that you can only learn from men who've been, and women, who've been in the field of battle firsthand. There are certain things they've seen and experienced and learned about life, about God, about warfare, that you don't learn any other way. I, I never had the privilege to serve. I was uh, number 105 in 1971. 
So the draft that year, I was ready to go. I wasn't going to Canada. Uh, the draft that year only went up to 75. So I was 50 digits away. And I honestly have to thank God for that. I would not have made a good soldier. And I, yeah, anyway. The Lord knows what he's doing. Let's trust that he had a great choice on that. But you can learn a lot of things from these men and these women. And uh, men in particular, I, I want to just talk about uh, what kind of faith it is that David is lifted up for. Why is David on that list? It's Hebrews chapter 11. It's the long list of heroes. And a lot of those men and women are described in the very acts of faith that they uh, were involved in. But David is just one of those who's kind of generically listed along with many others. And the writer of Hebrews says in 11, 32, and 33, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, and David, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Just kind of a generic description of what a warrior king or a general commander-in-chief would do in his field of service. Um, there's nothing about Goliath. There's nothing about worshiping before the Lord when the Ark of the Covenant's coming back. There's nothing about the betrayal of his son Absalom at the end of his life. There's, there's just this real narrow focus on his military conquests. And so I'm thinking there's something there. There's a reason we should explore this a little bit more deeply. So what I'm learning about faith is that you just saw it. Faith is not tame. Faith is not tame. This is a, something that women and men can all learn. You know, faith isn't just some precious elderly saint on her knees for hours weeping and weak and just crying out to God. That is a glorious picture. We don't know what's going on in her heart. She could be a warrior herself and oftentimes is, but, but we have to broaden our image of, of what faith can include and actually ought to include, especially when you look at the life of David, because faith is not only not tame, it's not lame. It's not, it's not wimpy. Faith in God that the Bible is asking us to engage in is not just really kind of light, delicate stuff. Take a look. Back in the story of David, 1 Samuel 17, by the way, the entire chapter is, is about the story of David and Goliath and Saul. Then it goes on to David's rule and reign as the king of Israel. But here's what it says. Meanwhile, the Philistine, this is who? Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, and here's the reason I pulled this right out of the middle of the story of David and Goliath. You know the story, I'm sure. The armies of the Philistines, the armies of Israel, are on either side of the Valley of Elah, and they're both taunting one another, and no one's really engaged in battle yet. And it's actually the very beginning of Saul's reign, early in his reign, and one of the first, in fact, the very first battle that Saul engaged in as king. Saul and his men are all up on one side. They're cowering in fear because Goliath, this 10-foot man, literally almost 10 feet tall, he actually had four brothers that were all born from the same family from the city of Gath, leftovers from the, help me out, this is all by memory and it's not coming back to me, but there was a family of Nephilim, right, thank you. The Nephilim, the Nephilims. They were literally a whole race of large people. This is not like a fantasy. This is real. Goliath was one. 
and he had four brothers. Okay, so uh, this guy is taunting. He keeps saying, who are you, Israelites? Send a man down. Let him take me on. And if he beats me, then all of the Philistine army will be your slaves. But if I beat him, all of Israel will become our slaves. So that's, that's the threat. And so David finally shows up because he's uh, been tasked by his father to leave the sheep that he's watching and run to the battlefield to bring his brothers some cheeseburgers. Literally some, <laughs> some wedges of cheese and bread and roasted grain. Okay, so he's showing up. He's like, he's the bus boy. You know, he's the waiter. He's the food guy. He drops off his food with one of the sentries there, and, and he hears his conversation about Saul has made an offer that anybody who will take on this giant, his reward will be awesome. He'll get my firstborn daughter in marriage. He'll get all kinds of wealth and riches, and his entire family will live tax-free for the rest of their lives. And nobody's biting. Everybody's going, who cares? I can't spend money when I'm dead. Okay, so nobody's jumping up. And so David hears this, and he comes up and he keeps asking around, so who's... who's making this offer, and what's that offer all about, and, and what's it going to take? And his older brother Eliab is there on the battle lines. In fact, his three older brothers are there. And, and he, he hears David kind of running through the crowd of the soldiers, and, and he hears this, and he just, he just totally puts him down. Who are you? You are just here because you want to watch the war and not do anything. You're just, he actually calls him conceited and arrogant. And David's going, where are you getting this? And anyway, he ignored him. And he finally went to someone else and uh, ended up talking to Saul and said, hey, I'll take this guy on. Who is he to defy the army of the living God? And if you know the story, Saul says, well, you can't go in with a stick. Literally, he had a shepherd's staff, and his sling was probably tucked away somewhere, maybe not even showing up. So they put Saul's armor on him. Saul was probably about six foot four. They say his, he was a head, head and taller than everybody else in Israel. David is still a young man, maybe 16, 18 years old. And I don't know that he wasn't tall, but he was probably not fully developed yet. So this, the armor hung on his body. It just, he's probably just dragging it around like this, you know. And, and David's going, I can't, this is not me. I, I can't fight this way. But I can assure you, that giant will die without a sword. I will not take any weapons except what I have on my body. So he shed the armor off. And here's where you see him. Now he's met Goliath down in the valley. And here's what the Philistine says with the shield bearer in front of him. He kept coming closer. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. And he despised him. Now here's, here's the problem I think we've had in church history. We have always, in fact, I went through some paintings and I, I was going to bring a couple. All these portrayals of David and what he must have looked like as he stood before this giant of a man. And they're all so effeminate. It's like he's just withering. Like David's just got no muscle. He's got nothing. He's just like this, almost like a girl in a boy's body, you know? It's just so effeminate. I'm thinking, I don't know if that's accurate. Why do I say it? Maybe he was young, sure. Maybe he was good looking, sure. But I don't see him as wimpy. In fact, the way he's been portrayed throughout history is, is David probably looked more like, um, what's his name? Bruno Mars. Yeah, Bruno Mars. Awesome singer, great, incredible musician. 
but you know, he's just, he's just very slightly built, and David's always portrayed as kind of like, he just goes around hugging little lammies all day, and, and he plays his little harp, and, and he, uh, he writes poetry, you know, he's just kind of this little sort of artistic type. I, I actually think if David had a picture, he'd look more like Russell Crowe, maybe a young version of Russell Crowe. Okay, why do I think that? It's because the Bible says that when, when David offered to take on Goliath, he had to tell a couple of stories that he had never had to tell before. Back when he was living his private life on the hillsides with sheep, there were wild animals that would come and start stealing sheep and threatening to kill them. And he was so passionate about protecting his father's investment, he would go after those things. And you know, it, it says in the Bible that he would take them out. And then the animal would turn, and he says he grabbed them by the hair and killed them. So I'm wondering, how did he take him out first? How often had he practiced that, sitting around in total boredom with these dumb sheep? <laughs> Millions of times, sure, just thousands of times. In between worshiping God, looking up at the stars, and enjoying creation, he's probably going, okay, I need some physical activity. Let's go find a target and kill something. You don't just take on a giant because you got something from Walmart, you know, with a real rubber band on, you go, doing. It could not have been a first-time event. It could not have been. And you don't kill a lion and a bear if you're some little wimpy, wispy little harp player. So there has to be something about him that's very physically imposing, which added to his confidence in that God had been training him for a long, long time for this moment. You see, our faith can't be weak and wimpy. It can't be tame. It can't be lame. There's a reason, well, let me put it this way, that the Old Testament is not the only place where the language of warfare is greatly used. The New Testament is full of it too. And that's for all men and women. It's kind of gruesome when you think about the fact that um, after he killed Goliath, by the way, I'm going to give you some uh, things that are not normally preached on about the life of David, because I, I like finding new things in the Bible, so that's why I just kind of breeze through the, the Goliath story, and I'm going to breeze through a couple of other things. There's a couple of kind of, uh, I don't know, less obvious things about David, and, and this is one of them. When he cut off Goliath's head, what did he do next? <laughs> He carried it all the way to Jerusalem, probably to prop up in the city square somewhere. I'm thinking, you got to be a man's man. I, I don't have the stomach for that kind of stuff. I have a hard time changing our cat box. It's just like, oh, <laughs> uh, it's just so disgusting to me. And so I'm thinking, you know, David is just like, what? Blood, guts, brains flowing out. I mean, who knows? So he's got that going on. And then as he begins to develop and, and actually does become king, or no, before he does, under Saul, he's the general and commander of the army, um, this guy is looking for a fight. I mean, he's just going everywhere. He just literally look, he's on the offensive. He's been given the command by Saul to enlarge Israel's footprint in the land. And so he's always looking for somebody to fight. In fact, he's known as a man of blood. This guy's got, got he would be kind of frightening if you're not on his side. But I have to say, he's the kind of man I would want on my side if my house was being broken into. 
and my wife and my girls and my granddaughters were being attacked. In fact, I want to be that man, don't you? It's kind of gruesome when you think about some of the things that he did to his enemies and when you read the stories. But yet he was known as a man after God's own heart. So the Bible wouldn't call him that if his aggressive, warlike part wasn't also a godly attribute. So there has to be something in us, both men and women, but particularly men, this is for you and for me today. We've got to recognize that strength, size, noise, musculature was given to us for a purpose. It was for his purposes. In whatever outlet that may require, but i got to tell you, if we're following Jesus, it's not a tame life and it's not a lame life. Now, your fortitude, your strength might be mental. It might be physical. It might be talent and skills. It doesn't matter what field or what strength, because there are obviously varying kinds of gifts. And to be honest, just a little side note here, um, every man is given a different level of testosterone, but also a little bit of estrogen. Same with every woman. A lot of women are given a lot of estrogen and a little bit of testosterone. Every single man and woman have a little bit of both. But don't you know, some women have a little less of this and more of that. And you can see it. They're, they're incredibly, I don't want to pigeonhole anybody, but they're athletic. Their voices are a little deeper. They, they just got some really incredible competitive skills. There are other men who are like off the charts with testosterone and next to zero estrogen. You know, they're, they're really scary to be around. <laughs> If they're not Christians. But then a lot of men, kind of, they're artistic, and they are poets, and they are musicians. Nothing wrong with that. But the point is, the faith that God celebrates is not tame. It is strong. It is warlike at times when needed. And it is willing to commit, lay down its life for those he or she loves. There's a verse in Corinthians. It just kind of highlights this. I think it's kind of fascinating. Um, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, like I said, this whole warrior attitude is talked a lot about in the New Testament too. It's not just the Old Testament stuff. But now it's a spiritual kind of warfare. He says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. But guess what? We do wage war. Did you ever just notice that? It just says we don't do it the way the world does, but it's still a war. The weapons we fight with, guess what? There's still weapons involved are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds, just as David did battle after battle after battle after battle against God's enemies. So can we just begin this morning by saying, okay, i got to be a little bit more aggressive about my Christianity. Aggression is an awesome quality when it's channeled the right way. We can't shrink back from those who oppose God. That doesn't mean you go picking fights with people who are not Christians. You've heard the old stories. Back in my day, people just, you're going to get saved. Christians, you know, just get really, in fact, I have a friend, his name is the Iceman. His name is Ron. He got out of prison, got saved. He used to go beat people. You will get saved. That's not the answer. It's a true story. He writes about it in his book called The Iceman. But what we can't, what we can do is go, okay, I could be much more aggressive when I pray. No, God, no, not on my watch. This person will not get stuck in that. 
This person will not be hurt in this family, in this marriage. No, God, no, not on my watch. This country will not go down the tubes. No, God, no, this person will not go to hell. Not on my watch. Aggressive in our speech. Godly kindness, seizing everything with grace, but still aggressive. No, wait a minute. I had a guy laying carpet in our house years ago, and uh, he had his little... Um, intern with him, and he was a great carpenter, did a beautiful job, but I, you know, he was in our house for a long time, one day, maybe two days, and I remember hear, hearing him talk to this, this intern that he was working with, and um, I just heard him in passing saying, you know, Jesus failed at his mission. He, this guy's talking spiritual stuff all the time, and I heard him say, you know, Jesus failed at his mission, he's telling his little kid, and I thought, that is so wrong. He's got things completely confused. He doesn't even know what Jesus' mission was. If he thinks he failed at it, he, just got, he thought it was to be a king or something. All this time, the problem was it was all in my head. I just didn't have the guts to say it. And so I'm just saying, Lord, can I have that encounter again with somebody? Because I'm ready now. I'm ready. I want us to be aggressive in our prayer, aggressive in our speech, aggressive in taking a stand and saying no for what we believe God wants us to do. Let's be those kind of people of faith. Next thing I, I like about the story of David is uh, faith is cumulative. That's a great word. You know what? If, um, if you do a little bit of exercise every day, you actually will get stronger. Exercise is cumulative. That's why we still live in a house with four stories of stairs. It's not an actual four-story house. Part of it's just being in the garage, on the street, and then the basement, and then the real house and the upstairs, because it's cumulative. I just want to keep breathing hard and working my muscles as long as I can, because it won't be forever. Dieting is cumulative. If I just eat, you know, one calorie less a day, it will add up over time. If I drink, you know, a little bit more water, it'll probably help my heart. So anyway, here's, here's what David learned. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, he's talking to Saul now, back to that conversation. I went after it. I struck it. And rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. So I, I say that's kind of a two-step process. There goes lion with sheep in mouth. <laughs> Bam! Maybe just stunned it for a bit, but wasn't completely gone. David runs after it. Thing turns on him. I'm not sure what you do. How do you, with your bare hands, kill a lion from that point forward? I have no idea. No wimp on hand here. But his faith in that moment with Goliath didn't appear out of nowhere. It appeared, I believe, over a series of events that he had lived through and succeeded at, tried and failed, tested and learned, so that by the time he got to Goliath, he had this kind of cumulative faith that had been building in his life for a long time. You don't take on a 10-foot giant without a little practice. Now, you know, some people say, oh, wait a minute, that makes it sound like it was all David's skill and experience and practicing and aiming and all that that killed Goliath and God wasn't needed. Can I tell you that's not it at all? You know, when it comes to being a Christian, our responsibility is to live up to the ceiling of our ability and then cry out to God, Lord, let that be your floor. And take it from here. Because I got a mixture of both. David coming against Goliath had a mixture of his own personal skill and ability and experience and practice. But he knew unless everything fell perfectly into place, 
Like, how about the rock landing exactly where it needed to? Without God, it could not have happened. But we have to understand that our faith to trust God for the bigger things is built by trusting God in the little things. And accumulating those experiences and never forgetting those experiences so that when the Goliaths do show up, we're not freaking out. We're going, I've kind of been here before. I think I've kind of done this. Yeah, yeah, last time. Last time I said yes to this and God did that. I think I am ready, Lord. Let's go. Let's go get them. When I heard about the uh, massacre at First Baptist Church in Southern Springs in Texas, my first reaction was kind of my typical first reaction when I hear about tragedy and scary stuff. I kind of go immediately to this, wait a minute, I've seen God do so many miracles. That's never going to happen to us. And then the Lord just said, wait a minute. Don't be presumptuous. Experience, practice, and even seeing my glory in past events doesn't guarantee I'm going to do the same thing in the future. So I heard him say to me, by all means, don't walk in fear. Love the word, Ashley. Thank you this morning. Don't walk in fear. But don't be presumptuous either. Trust God. Believe the best. Live life fear-free and just keep kind of taking care of business as if God is on your side and there and protecting you all the time. But Jesus said, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. So what I'm doing is trying to give you a little bit of counterbalance to this practice, accumulating faith, experience, and then having more confidence because you and I both know what happens when we become too confident. Pride comes before the fall. So I just want to balance this out a little bit by saying we, we need to be prepared. And this might seem a little bit abrupt, but we need to take a hard left turn just for a moment as a church. I, I want us to see a short video um, about being trained if a shooter were to appear in this building. It's just three minutes long. And, and I think what we need to do is be prepared as people, our leadership, our ushers, our Sunday school teachers. We as a, a church family need to know, okay, what would we do if? And so here's just a little clip. It's actually about a 40-minute training that I would like us, many of us, maybe not all, but to come to and go, yeah, let's just be prepared, not walk in fear, but at least be on target and be on task. So let's take a look at that. Active shooter, a gunman or gunman killing or attempting to kill people in a confined, populated area. Students, parents, teachers are asking why today after a bloody rampage plunged this campus into tragedy. Details are just coming in, but we're being told that a heavily armed gunman opened fire this evening. In April of 1999, I was a student on the campus of Columbine High School here in Littleton, Colorado, during an active shooter incident involving two gunmen that resulted in the death of 12 students and one teacher and the injury of dozens of others. Three of those victims were close personal friends of mine. Since 2006, the U.S. has averaged an active shooter event with four or more deaths every 2.9 months. 
Awareness is really the cornerstone of a prevention strategy and can be broken down into three primary categories. Awareness of the church property, awareness of the people on campus, and awareness of potential conflicts. Team members should be regularly trained to pay attention to who is walking into the building, who are the visitors who have come to church today, unusual behaviors such as someone who is regularly going in and out of the sanctuary. On average, 20 mass shootings take place in the U.S. every year. Responding to an active shooter incident is something that is quite honestly very difficult, though not impossible to prepare for. When these situations emerge, you are likely to be caught off guard. Adrenaline will be coursing through your body. There is likely to be screaming, gunshots, and other loud noises. It can be very distracting and disorienting. The level of emotional and spiritual care and crisis support that people will need is based upon the scope and intensity of the trauma that they have experienced. The next step is to deploy trained crisis intervention chaplains to minister emotional and spiritual care to those affected by the incident and provide the most appropriate intervention based upon the assessment. Foursquare Disaster Relief is available and equipped to come to your aid in this kind of crisis. Okay, that's gonna be made available to, uh, I hope, many of us who wanna be part of being prepared. I'm not here to scare anybody. I'm not here to be sensationalistic or dramatic. I just sit, hear the Lord saying, be, be prepared. You know, we need to be ready just in case. And uh, there will be some of us who will need to be eyes in the building. Some of us will need to be actively leading through an actual crisis. And then there will be those who are needed for recovery, and counsel and prayer, and trauma, ministry. So uh, be praying about that and say, hey, what part could I play? Should something like this ever happen? And uh, we'll be setting a date and getting together and saying, okay, let's put our heads together. Who can do what? Hallelujah. But in the meantime, can I tell you that because of God's faithfulness in our lives so far, we can walk with our heads held high. Isn't that true? I mean, I love how all these cities who've been hurt by hurricanes and tornadoes and flood, disaster, even 9-11, that was like the, the clarion cry of the citizens of each of these states, these cities rather. We will not be afraid. We will live our lives as normal. And uh, we can do that trusting ourselves or we can do that trusting God. Let's do that trusting God and still be prepared. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 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 Last thing I want to talk about this morning about David's faith is... Um, how contagious it was. This is really key. Now, I talked about how much of a man's man David was by carrying his bloody skull, you know, through town and into Jerusalem. But there's, a, there's another thing it demonstrates about David, and that it says, David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put the Philistine's weapons in his own tent. So, again, why did, 
Why do you think David put Goliath's head in Jerusalem? My guess is it was on display somewhere. Why do you think he did that? Pardon? As a trophy, sure. Inspire fear in other enemies? Yeah, someone else. Huh? Remembrance. It's a remembrance, yeah. It was a way of glorifying God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And what influence do you think it had on the rest of the soldiers in the Israeli army? Boldness and strength and courage. Yeah. You see, David was on a mission from God to begin taking out tribes and warring armies around Israel for the next several years. He would need the morale of his men as high as he could possibly get it. And he knew that his one act of faith would have this kind of ripple effect on everybody else. If he hadn't obeyed God and hadn't done that, they'd probably still be quivering in their boots on the hillside. So he recognized, wait a minute, what God just did was a miracle. It's not because I'm amazing, it's because our God is amazing. And I need my fellow soldiers to see and know how powerful our God is. We've got a lot of work ahead of us, a lot of really strong opponents. We're going to need to know how to fight. How about the Philistines' weapons in his own tent? You know, he had this massive sword. He had a small shield. He had a, a javelin as well. Probably some of his armor came with him. Why would he put that in his own tent? Yeah. Aha, uh -huh, interesting. Yeah, good, good luck for you, buddy. The, uh, the weapons aren't really that much help. Max, what do you think? Reminders. Four? Yeah, a reminder. That's what I think. I think David needed his faith to be contagious for himself as well. He had to have these, like, symbols. And it turns out it was quite a few years later, um, Goliath's sword is still around at a point in time when David's begin to kind of weaken and crumble in his older age. And he comes upon, I think it was the king of Gath, who had Goliath's sword. And uh, he said, what do you want to do with this? And, and uh, I'll have to refresh the details a little bit, but David says, I want it. And in my opinion, because of where David was at, he was not doing great. I think he did it because he needed to remember, remember who you are. <laughs> and, and we see him again rising back up in courage and taking on his opponents again. So we have to understand faith is contagious. And the opposite is true. When we don't step out in faith, that's contagious too. Ugh, I hate that. I have so many regrets about things I could have, should have, would have, and didn't. And then I saw just kind of this little opposite ripple effect around, in those around me who just kind of, they shrunk back too. Oh, man. We have to recount the blessings of God, the favor of God, the powerful victories of God. And if we'll do that for ourselves, first of all, so we don't forget, but also for those around us, I really believe we can, you know, see the courage of other people rise. And you know when a whole group of people becomes courageous? Wow, it's, it's incredible. When the story describes the minute Goliath's head was cut off, bam, onto the ground, the Philistine just scrambled in fear, the soldiers of Israel just chased them down and their bodies were scattered on the roadside of the dead and wounded because the Philistines were just absolutely panicked. And the Israeli army just absolutely crushed them. 
You know, one of the reasons, this is a little side application. I'm talking about men and manhood and the kind of things God put in men that aren't present in women at the same degree. Um, one of the reasons that we haven't really had a whole lot of men's Bible studies, we have an awesome one right now, Saturday morning that Chuck and uh, Richard are leading. But I personally kind of pulled back a little bit. And there's a reason for that. I, in fact, retreats too. I haven't had a men's retreat for quite some time. And here's the deal. It's because all the same men would come every time. And I'm thinking, Lord, you have a passion for the guys that aren't here. The guys that are kind of part of the church, but more on the fringe. Maybe the family members come or they show up a couple times a year. Those are the guys I want, God. And I'm, I'm learning that a lot of men just don't like sitting in a circle and talking about Jesus. It just, just feels weird to them. Some of us do, because I'm like the, I'm the editor, writer, you know, musician type. And I, said, I think that's kind of fun. Philosopher and yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm not like everybody. And so I hear the Lord saying, you've got to figure out a way to appeal to that other group of men. You know, men are a funny bunch. We, we will not do the thing we know is good for us. We just refuse. I am not going to the doctor. I am not going to drink more water. I'm not going to bed on time. No. And I am not going to a Bible study. But in a heartbeat, we'll do the most idiotic, deadly things on the planet. I want more salt and butter. I will climb that ladder again this Christmas to put up Christmas lights. I don't care how rickety or icy it is. I'm on it. That's just the way men are wired. Just, is that true, guys? We're just kind of weird like that. So if, if that's the case, I hear some agreement, yeah. <laughs> if that's the case and we're trying to figure out how do I, how do I reach more men who are not here? Because you can't influence someone who's not present. Have you noticed that? How do we get them to come in? Um, we've got to recognize that our faith will never be contagious until we make contact. Men of the church, our faith will never become contagious, maybe for each other, that's great, but hey, we're already in. It's like we are the choir. We want new men in this body. So here's what we're exploring, and uh, Kevin and I have been talking a lot, and I've been talking with a few of the other guys, Mitch Ashbeck and, uh, and Chuck. We say, we've got to do something a little bit more manly, you know? <laughs> So Chuck goes, and I love this, so I think we're going to do it. He says, how about on New Year's Day, the polar bear plunge? Oh. Love it. I'm in. I am so in. In fact, you know what? Most men will do anything for money, too. So I'm thinking, polar bear plunge, whoever can stay in the longest gets 100 bucks. And I'm going to hold up a $100 bill, Okay. Ken is on it. Look at that. He's going, yes. <laughs> okay, we're just thinking, maybe, maybe not. To take their wives on a date. Okay, so we're thinking about that. And I think we're going to do it. Now, I'll tell you right now. Uh, so uh, Chuck said, they've been, he's, been doing, he's been doing this for 15 years in a row, every New Year's Day. And he says, yeah, there's fire trucks there. There's EMTs. There's everybody. You know, there's, you know, they're safe about it. So if your heart goes bad, they'll drag you out. You know, something like that. <laughs> Bob. 
<laughs> I hate the cold, so I'm not going to be, I will not win that stay in the longest contest. Okay, so just one idea. Uh, another idea we're looking at is, um, I want to take some guys, and, and again, I say this very carefully with, with a great deal of sobriety, but I want to go to the gun range. Guys like shooting guns. Most, not many, not, and, and women too. We've got a lot of women shooters out there, yeah. Not, I'm, this is not training for the next shooter in church, by the way. That's not, that's not what it's about. All I'm saying is there are some things that, um, that God put into men that we've got to just acknowledge and say, okay, we can't just ask them, ask them to all look like the church women. I want it to be contagious because I've seen God do great things, but I don't rub, if I don't rub shoulders with some of these other gentlemen in our community, we may never reach them. And our mission is to reach the whole world with the whole gospel, the whole church getting involved. So another idea that we had is um, poker night. I know gambling is an addiction, possibly. We've got to be careful about that. But I'm telling you, I love to gamble for Starburst. That's, <laughs> that's what we do. It's an absolute blast. And one final idea is uh, we, if we can get it together in time, it's hard to get the networks to work with our building and stuff at the Super Bowl party or something like that. Anyway, the whole point is these are just, I want to apply what God's teaching me, and I want you to apply what God's teaching you. How can you become a more contagious Christian? How can you rub shoulders with people who need Jesus the most? I think we all have at least one person, if not a handful of people, that we could be a little bit more like David, and remember what God's done in our lives, what he's done for us, and just let that become a little bit more public for those around us. There's a, a final twist in the story of David that I'd like to share with you. You would think for a man with all these victories, a man known as being God, after God's own heart, you would think he would just be one of the most highly honored men in Jewish history, and, uh, and yet there's one honor he was not given. In the book of Second Chronicles, David asked if he could build the Lord a temple. And here, here's what God said to him. Second Chronicles 22, 8. But the word of God was upon me, saying, You have shed much blood, and you have waged great wars, so you shall not build a house in my name. Behold, a son will be born to you, and he will be a man of peace, and I shall give him peace from all his enemies roundabout. He shall build a house in my name. Some people read this passage and they say, yeah, David was kind of being punished. And this, he sort of lost this opportunity, sort of like Moses couldn't get to go into the promised land because he was bad. He hit the rock with a stick instead of just tapping it. And so he's being punished. He can't go into the promised land. So people think maybe that's what David's going through as well. God is saying, sorry, man, you went too far. Can I propose? I don't think David went too far. I think David was simply discovering you had a different assignment than your son. Israel needed you at this season of life. They're going to need Solomon in the next season of life. You're not being punished, my son. You've accomplished your goals my goals for your life. So can we um, just accept the fact that we have different assignments between us, different temperaments, different personalities, different callings, but we can all be a little less lame with our faith. We can all be a little bit more contagious with our faith. We can all be a little bit more of the second one too, whatever that was.
Cumulative. Yeah, just remember and keep building and adding. So let's pray. Father, I, wanna, I want to know if there's anything in my heart, if there's anything in the hearts of my friends here today that you would like to challenge and inspire in us where we have allowed fear to prevail. Jesus, would you identify that and give us the specific ways in which we can walk away from fear and run towards you? Lord, wherever we've been presumptuous even and counted too much on our practice and experience and abilities, Lord, would you identify those things and teach us to remember what you've done and build our confidence in you, not in our practice or experience. Father, I thank you for the men in this church family. Thank you for the warriors that are here, both tangible and spiritual warriors, men and women. And Lord, I ask that you help us to fulfill our calling, our assignment. Because Lord, whether we ever become famous or in charge of great kingdoms or own, only known by our families, Lord, you've said if we can make a difference that lasts generations, We've done our job. So help us to stay at it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, praise God. That was kind of fun. I love you. I bless you. Have a wonderful week. Yes, God's word is so awesome. Thanks, Pastor Alex. I hope this message blesses you as it does me. We have an awesome time of worship during each of our services. We have infant and child care available, as well as complete children's education programs. We host the Wildfire Youth Programs Wednesday evenings. Be sure to visit our website at rccfoursquare.org. Here's a final word from Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.